0: Good morning. Good morning. A couple years ago, my family and I were at the uh, Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. It's a free zoo. My parents live in Chicago, so my wife and I took our kids. My wife Bethany and I took our kids there, uh, and we're walking around and checking out the animals. Which, side note, a zoo's uh, conspicuously less fun as an adult because I feel like I know too much. You know, like you read on the little thing, it's like this tiger has a thousand-mile natural range in India. And it's like, yeah. And we gave you 100 feet in Chicago. (laughs) Sorry. So there's like that little depressing piece about, they're like, oh, man, that, oh, I feel bad. But I'm glad I get to see the animals, and my kids don't know the difference, so it's great. So we go to the zoo, and we're walking around checking things out, and we see the sea lions. We walk past the sea lion exhibit, and I'm pushing the stroller. I got two tired kids in there. And I look back, and my wife isn't walking with me, and I wonder where she is, and I see her stopped kind of, like, looking off in the direction this way, and I'm not sure what's going on, and then I see her walk up to this little kid who's standing there, and, and it hits me that she's, like, seen that this kid doesn't know where he's going, and that's just this thing that moms have, like, this mom radar. It's like this, like, spidey sense, but for moms, where it's like, somewhere, a child is in distress, and as a dad, I'm like, well, oh, right, no, we should, yes, we should totally, do we, he looks okay, though, right? He looks... So she went over and was talking with this, this little boy and eventually uh, went to the security office and they began paging and this, this dad shows up and you know it's that dad because he's got that look, like that look, he's looking around like something happened and you feel for him but as a, if you have kids, you know, as a dad myself, I know that that look is, is fear, it's like oh my goodness, where's my son, like I can't find him and then there's also that part of like I'm going to really miss him but man, I'm going to be in so much trouble, so she sees this boy, and, and they get reunited with, the, with his dad, and it's just, oh, man, it's just this great moment. I'm so proud of my wife that she saw that. And as the little boy's explaining, he, he just followed the wrong person. I mean, when you're, like, this high, you're, like, you're just looking at the mass of humanity in front of you, like, well, that is wearing jeans and a jacket. That must be it, right? I'll follow him. And so you get to the point where you're looking around going, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know where my dad is, and I don't know where I am. and I don't know what, it just was frozen there. And you just feel for him. He just followed the wrong person. Got distracted, maybe by something shiny, and ended up in the wrong place. We do that too. We follow the wrong person. We follow the wrong thing, and before we know it, we look up and we're like, how did I end up here? This isn't where I wanted to be. We're going to dig into that. Idea this morning as we wrap up our series, I Am Jesus, with the final I Am statement that Jesus makes that we're covering our series I Am the Good Shepherd. It's gonna, In John chapter 10, if you brought a Bible with you, you can crack that open. That's where we're going to dive in today. Jesus uses the idea of sheep herding to explain a, a larger truth. Now, sheep herding was widely practiced in Israel at this time, it was, it was widely understood in this first century context. And so Jesus is tapping into something cultural to explain something significant. Sheep often act in pretty dumb ways. Sheep often act in pretty dumb ways. In fact, that's why we have co-opted that term sheep to refer to people who just blindly follow and end up doing maybe dumb things. Or like the newer millennial version of sheep, sheeple. And some of you are like, I didn't know that was a thing. Yes, Merriam-Webster, Merriam- I believe, has added it to their growing list of words that we've totally made up but that are now socially acceptable because they're in the dictionary. But what I found fascinating as I read this week is that sheep actually have a capacity for intelligence. If they're taught, if they're instructed, if someone kind of works with them, like, they, they can learn some pretty cool things. But on their own, left to their kind of natural instincts, they, they, they get into trouble. And what I found fascinating in particular is that sheep are destructive when they're left on their own. Sheep will just like clear cut a, a field of grass to the point where like nothing will ever grow there again. If they're not moved, they'll just keep eating till everything's gone. A friend of mine grew up around sheep and he told me that they could be really frustrating animals. If they fall into their backs, they can get stuck. When they got scared, they were known to run into, into a corner and press themselves in so tightly that they'd smother each other. Yikes. He actually had a pet sheep that kept running away. And they'd have to go and look for it. it, would just, it would get, like, sheep could be frustrating. Now, as we talk about that, right? As we talk about capacity for intelligence, but often do dumb things. We talk about they would get themselves into trouble. Their natural instincts would, would lead them astray. They were destructive and left alone. It sounds like sheep are a pretty alarmingly good stand-in for people. We hear that, it's like, okay, no, yeah, I, I get where you're going with that, Jesus. So let's pick up in John uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus starts by saying, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. First thing we're going to look at when we unpack these words of Jesus is, the good shepherd knows his sheep. And that's just what what Jesus was talking about. The good shepherd knows his sheep. Jesus is talking about this thing called this sheep pen. And, And what this was was a simple structure made of stone or Mud brick, often as part of the cave, often kind of built in conjunction with a cave. And, and it only had one opening, was sometimes covered, but that was the place where shepherds at night would bring their flocks inside to keep them safe. They'd bring them in in this kind of structure, and, and they knew where they were, and they out, were not wandering, so predators and, and thieves couldn't take them. And Jesus references thieves and robbers here. And he says, they're only concerned with what the sheep represent, with money and assets. But the shepherd is concerned for who the sheep are because they're his. The sheep are his. And Jesus is setting up this picture of of thieves and robbers because he's contrasting them with himself. In verse 1 and 2, he's showing that he's the legitimate heir that God has promised. He's not a con artist who sneaks in through the side He's instead the the, the true heir, the true shepherd who walks in the front door, who's recognized as being the one in authority. He's the right and true Messiah that history and the Bible have been pointing to. And because he's the legitimate Messiah, the legitimate rescuer, he knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. Verses three and four dig into that idea a little bit deeper. And I love that I found this out this week, that sheep can respond to their name. I did not know that. In fact, in this time, shepherds often named their sheep so that they could call them and direct them specifically. And Jesus says the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. They follow him because they know his voice. In fact, they won't follow a stranger because they don't know his voice. Sheep can respond to their name. Jesus knows our name, and he calls out to us. There's great hope in that. Jesus knows you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. Right now, that's where the part of you where some of you are going, whoa, 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 I liked this until that part. Everything. Yeah, and and that can be scary if we're honest, right? Because there's things that we don't like about ourselves. There's things, frankly, we hate about ourselves. There's things we've done in our past. There's behaviors. There's patterns. There's stuff in our lives that we don't want people to know that we are ashamed of, that we feel guilt over. And so when we hear that truth that Jesus knows everything about us, it can be scary and make us go, well, I I don't know that I want to be close to a God that knows all that. But we misunderstand that that is an incredibly hopeful statement because when someone loves you and they only know the good that you want them to know, that's not a deep and substantive love. But when someone knows you and they know everything about you and they know the worst you've done and they know the secrets you want to hide, they know everything about you and they love you anyway... That's real love. That's deep and meaningful love. We want people to know our greatest hits, the best things that we've done, all the good stuff that we like about ourselves. Jesus knows, the, what's the opposite of your greatest hits? Your, your, your worst hits, whatever that is. The album no band ever puts out. It's like your worst stuff. Jesus knows all that stuff. And he loves you anyway. The good shepherd knows his sheep. Jesus continues talking. It says, verse six says, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gates. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and de- kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. Now, if you're paying attention, you might have heard in verse 6 where it says, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant and think, but Josh, I thought, lo, just a few minutes ago, you told me that everybody would have understood this talk about sheep. Fair question. I appreciate you following along. This doesn't mean that they didn't understand the talk about sheep. They all understood that. They didn't understand the greater meaning that Jesus was pointing to. Because he's speaking to a group of Jews that thought they were secure with God because of their Jewishness, that thought because of their status as children of Abraham that they were good and that they didn't need to worry about a, a relationship with Jesus. Like, what, this, what does this matter? What does this even mean? But Jesus is saying, because I care about you, I am the way that you know God the Father. Now, maybe for us sitting here, we're not going, well, I'm secure in my Jewishness because that's a cultural thing that doesn't hit us the same way. So what is it for us? I think it's often that we think we're good because we're good people, right? I'm a good person. I try and be good. So God must be okay with me and love me because I try and be good. Or maybe it's because I'm religious and I, I go to church and I, and I do that stuff and so I'm good with, with God because of those things. But Jesus is saying that he is the good shepherd. He is the only way that the sheep are led home. He's the only way that sheep are led to the master, to his father, to his father. We can't make our own path. That's what Jesus was addressing and what the writer meant when he, when he said they didn't understand. Jesus cares for his sheep. I just love some of the little nuggets in these verses. He leads from the front. Right? He leads his sheep out and they follow him. And that's significant because he's not driving them from behind. He's not scaring them forward. He's leading them. He encounters everything they encounter first. He has been where they are going. He's able to say, follow me because I am with you, walking with you, and going to experience all that you do before you do. He stands at the gate when they enter in each night. Shepherds would do that to check their sheep out and to to tend to their wounds. If they got injured or they got scratched by thorns, then, then he'd take care of their injuries as they came in to care for them. And I love this image. Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the gate. What he means by that is these sheep pens didn't have a gate. They just had an opening where the gate should be because shepherds themselves laid down in the doorway to be the gate. The shepherd was the gate. The shepherd was the doorway. And so nothing could come in and harm the sheep without first encountering the shepherd. Jesus is putting his life on the line right there saying, no one gets to you Because they have to come through me first. That I look after you and care for you. That I'm aware that anything that would try and harm you has to come to me first. He is Himself the door. And it's this picture of Jesus that He'll say later on I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's that picture of Jesus being the door, the door to safety, the door to life, the door to protection, the door to His Father. There's a beautiful relentlessness to the actions of the shepherd. He doesn't just want the sheep to survive. He wants them to have a rich and satisfying life. I love how the NIV says, verse 10, says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sometimes we can be tempted to go, well, God's just trying to ruin my fun. Like, we maybe wouldn't say those words, but it's like, God doesn't know what's best for me, or I can find my own good, or Christianity is just a bunch of rules and things that I have to do, and, and I don't want any part of that. And what we misunderstand is that God is not intimidated by the life we think we can find on our own. Instead, he looks at us with sadness going, you are settling for less. God hasn't created us to to be his his mindless slaves to do whatever he wants. God has created us to know a life that is deeper and richer and more satisfying than the best we can possibly come up with. That's incredible. Jesus is saying the thief comes to to lie, to steal, to kill, to, to destroy. I came to bring you life so rich and satisfying you can't even imagine it. It's what your soul longs for. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. That idea is picked up in other places in Scripture. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Will he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. You know what he's saying? Shepherds care for their sheep. And if one wanders away, they'll go find it. And so if a regular shepherd will do that for his regular sheep, how much more will the good shepherd do for the sheep that he knows and loves and cares for? Because they're his people. Chris is a Merino sheep from Australia. To recap, the Chris I'm talking about here is a sheep and not our new youth pastor, Chris. (laughs) The Chris I'm talking about is a Merino sheep from Australia. And in September 2015, Chris was found living in the bush outside the city of Canberra, Australia. He was not doing particularly well. He wasn't in good shape. What they think happened is that he was separated from his flock several years prior, and so he'd been living on his own in the wild, He had never had his fleece shorn, subsisting on whatever he could find, just kind of walking around. This is what Merino sheep look like normally. All right, look like sheep, right? Cool. That's like, it's like an edgy sheep. It's like a little bit cooler than a regular sheep, but big, like fluffy fur. okay, it's a sheep. This is what Chris looked like. Chris looks like he ate the rest of his flock. He had four to five times the normal amount of wool. And that caused him some serious issues. He was partially blinded by the wool flapping down into his eyes. His hooves were damaged from carrying the weight of all that extra wool. He had skin burns from the urine that was trapped in his fleece. That's an image for you. If he'd fallen down, the sheer amount of wool would have made it difficult to get back up, making him easy prey for for dingoes or other predators. And one of the rescuers said that Chris could have died within weeks if he was left alone. So he's rescued and they bring in a national champion sheep shearer, which apparently is a thing in Australia. And I didn't know. I I missed my calling. Chris had 89 pounds and three ounces of wool cut off him. Look at that. You know where Chris is? The tiny little white thing in the middle. 89 pounds of wool that's nuts. He lost half his weight when they cut that off. Imagine what that must have felt like. That weight that Chris was carrying around was so heavy. Imagine what it must have been felt like to be free from that in just a moment. Chris is such a good picture of the human experience. Sometimes, oftentimes, we need help. We wander off. We get lost. We don't know how we ended up that way. We followed the wrong thing, and now we're, we're far from home, and things happen to us that we can't fix ourselves, and those things spiral, and they have, they have implications in other parts of our lives, and, we're, and we experience pain and, and hurt, and we don't know how to get rid of those things, and that, that stuff just sits with us and affects us and changes us. Sometimes we need help. We wander away and we can't find our way home. The good shepherd is the one who cares about us enough to come find us. That that must have freaked Chris out. He'd never been shorn before. They had to sedate him so that he, he didn't panic. But they knew this is the way to freedom. Freedom that he can't keep living with this weight. It is physically breaking him down. And so there was enough care and compassion to go, we are going to do something for you that you don't understand, but you need because it is the right thing. It is all rooted in care. And that's what we need to understand, that the good shepherd cares about us. He cares deeply about his sheep. We can see that show up in his willingness to sacrifice for them. As we finish this section, Jesus says in, in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. The good shepherd sacrifices for his sheep. He sacrifices for them. I love this line that Jesus says here. He says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. Then they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. I love that that line, because what he's communicating is he cares so deeply for his sheep that his sacrifice is to win back people to God, not just some, but as many as possible. Really, God hopes all. And we need to hear that and be challenged by that because we can often think we're good inside our flock, right? This is our flock and we're good, that Jesus came for my flock and this people. But what he's saying is that, no, not just for this flock, but others as well, because there's no, there's no cultural divide. There's no racial divide. There's no economic divide. There's no political divide that Jesus cannot transcend and cross over in order to bring people to his Father. We need to care about that stuff too. He transcends every barrier, crosses every obstacle, bridges every gap. Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to do the same? The good shepherd sacrifices for his sheep. I love the contrast that that Jesus highlights here between the hired hand and the good shepherd. Because he says the hired hand is just in it for the money, and so when hardship comes, the hired hand is out of here. But the good shepherd says, I love these sheep so much, I'm willing to lay down my life for them. That's how much. Self-sacrifice for sheep communicates a deeply personal relationship. And we see Jesus' authority in these verses, because he says, no one can take my life from me. Jesus is saying, he's foreshadowing his death, saying, I'm not going to be killed on the cross. Instead, I'm going to lay my life down in order to be obedient to my Father who sent me and accomplish his purpose in rescuing people. To me, there's even more power. He's not going to face a death that he cannot possibly prevent. He's going to face a death he can and chooses not to. Who do you love that much? Because that's how much... God loves you. Why does it matter that Jesus sacrifices for a sheep? What does that sacrifice matter for us? That's a reasonable question. Christopher Callum is a professor of organic chemistry at Ohio State. You can feel free to boo. Every year for the past 14 years, he has thrown a wadded paper ball into the balcony to illustrate a concept that he's teaching. He says, we use the ball to help understand acid-base chemistry, to understand proton donors and proton acceptors. And the only thing I understand about that sentence is that those are words, (laughs) and that's it. But he then gives that student a chance to throw the paper ball into a trash can on the lower level. The prize, if they sink it, 100% on the quiz for them and everyone else in the class. Take a look at what happened in 2016. He drained it! (laughs) Vinny is a legend. Chucks that thing from, from the balcony, drains it straight in. He just aced a quiz in organic chemistry on everyone's behalf. That dude's not buying lunch for the rest of the semester. His actions directly benefited everyone else in the class. They didn't do anything to earn or deserve the 100%, but because of what that one guy did, they all got an A+. That's what's known theologically as substitutionary atonement. And if you want to remember that so you can impress your friends or score well on theology Jeopardy, please feel free. But really what we want you to take away from that and to know about that is that's this picture that Jesus took our place. When, when we receive Jesus, he gives us his goodness and his rightness with God, and he takes our sin and our guilt because he does for us what we could never do. That's why his sacrifice matters. Because Jesus stepped into time, he stepped into our world to say, I'm going to live the life you should have lived and die the death you should have died. I'm going to make a way for you to have a relationship with my Father when you could never make a way yourself. Jesus calls us to follow him as the good shepherd, the same way that he points to him following his father, because he knows that it's only when we follow him can we find our way home. So, what do we do with this? I want to give you three things to to be challenged by and to think about this week. First is this know the shepherd. Know the shepherd. One writer says this, the correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. All he's saying there is, we can't experience this rich and satisfying life that we want to know unless we know Jesus. That's the secret. That's the way we get there. When life never quite feels like enough, it's because it's not apart from Jesus. He wants us to know him and through him his father. And so that begs the question, do you know Jesus as the good shepherd? Do you understand that knowing him is the fulfillment of who you were created to be? This week, taking steps to know the shepherd could be as simple as just coming back to church next week. Spoiler alert, we talk about him every week here. (laughs) Reading the Bible, reading God's words to us. It can also be being willing to ask questions. The only bad questions are the unasked ones. Ask questions. Oftentimes we're embarrassed. Like, what do people think? Or, like, this is a dumb question. And I can tell you, I love questions. I'm a question asker myself. There's even examples in the Bible of people coming to Jesus with questions that could be seen as insulting, but they're honest, and Jesus responds to honest questions. Ask your questions. If you don't understand how in the world could Jesus be this way, ask. If you want to know, my life hasn't been what I hoped, why wouldn't God do something if he's really good? Ask that question. God is big enough for those questions. Ask us. Let us come alongside you, but be willing to ask the questions know the shepherd. Second thing is, listen to the shepherd. Knowing and listening to are not the same thing. Listening to requires a purposefulness. It's a willingness to hear. When I first started out in student ministry, I had two identical twins in my small group, these two guys, Chris and Sean. I could not tell them apart. They were identical twins. I, I just didn't say their names at all and hoped I was fine. But it got to the point where when they called, I could tell who it was just by their voice. And I got to that point. I'm not some brilliant linguist. I got to that point because I got to know their voices. I could tell them apart because I knew their voices. I got to know their voices because I spent time with them and I listened to them. Do you know the voice of the Good Shepherd? Are you listening to his voice? Can you tell his voice when you hear it? You can grow in your ability to listen to the shepherd by spending time with him, talking with him. That's all prayer is, is just talking with Jesus. But a harder thing is spend time listening to him. I know that's hard. That's that's hard for me. Silence is hard for me. I'm sure that comes as a shock. Silence is hard for me. When I constantly fill all the space in my life with sound, all I'm doing is drowning out the voice of God. What would it look like for you to be purposeful this week about taking quiet, literal, taking 15 minutes and just sitting in silence to allow God to speak? Because listen, he is speaking to you. Now, some of you might be going, wait, whoa, like some crazy voice. And I, I don't know. God listen, God can do whatever he wants, he doesn't check with me first. But I'm not suggesting that you're gonna hear this booming voice from heaven. What I'm saying is that God speaks to each of us in the way we need to hear. And maybe it's a voice in our head, maybe it's a, a prompting in our heart. I don't know what it will be for you, but I know that God speaks to us because he loves us and wants us to hear him. Are you listening? Are you listening? The last thing is follow the shepherd. Knowing isn't listening and listening isn't following. Following is actively, purposefully taking steps. Francis Chan says it like this, if life is a river, then pursuing Christ requires swimming upstream. When we stop swimming or actively following him, we automatically begin to be swept downstream. Are you actively following him? Are you actively following Jesus? Who's helping you in that journey? Who's coming alongside you? Who's holding you accountable? Who's encouraging you? Who's walking that journey with you? Following Jesus doesn't happen passively. In order to follow, we have to take active steps of faith. And sometimes we can think it's just in the big things, right? Following Jesus only means in those big moments, when life blows up, when it's hard, when we don't know what to do anymore. But it really starts in the small moments. when you want to respond in anger to someone who ticked you off, when you want to cut corners on a project and take the easy way, when you want to be selfish with your time or your energy, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus in those moments? Because you string enough small moments together, and they become a pattern. You string enough patterns together, they become behavior. When you string enough behaviors together, it becomes a lifestyle. The good shepherd leads his sheep from where they are from where from where they are to where they need to be Sheep need a shepherd Who are you following